Genesis. Those filter out. If you would turn to Genesis, the book of Genesis. We'll be there in a little bit, but we're going to move around quite a bit in our Bible. I don't know if you'll be able to keep up or not, um, but uh, try as, uh, as I try to preach the Word of God today. The message, and I already heard it said this morning. It was kind of funny. Sister Reader, you said it. There was something that Joel was doing. You you said, what in the world? (laughs) That's the title of the message. What in the world is it? And so the message really has to do with, you know, if you're like me or others, when you hear the Word of God talking about the world, and, and, and the negativity of it. And you understand that there's some things in the world that aren't negative. What in the world, what is the world? What is it talking about? And you get all sorts of definitions from people and thoughts. So today I'd like to uh, Holy, allow the Holy Spirit to tell us what the world is that, that God's talking about in His Word and and what we need to be careful of. So with that, let's um, begin with a word of prayer. Father, we're going to be talking about quite a subject, the world. Specifically about the negative part of the world, but uh, we'll bring in other aspects as well as you've led me to preach your word this morning. I pray you stir our hearts. I pray that we would be honest with ourselves. You only have good for us. And may we see that good today. May we be drawn to You, be drawn closer to You through the preaching of Your Word. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. what in the world is it? First of all, I want to start out with the understanding that there are a couple definitions that I want to give to the world or thoughts about the world. There's a physical definition which refers to the creation of God as recorded in Genesis 1.1. It says, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And it includes, as it goes through chapter 1, includes everything He put in the earth and the skies during the six days of creation. And in its completed state, God said at the end of Genesis chapter 1 and verse 31, And God saw everything that He had made, and behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Not only was God's creation physically perfect, but man's relationship also was perfect with God as well. So much was everything perfect that God instituted the seventh day as a day of rest. Now we know that God didn't, doesn't sleep nor slumber. He doesn't need sleep. Have you ever thought about what rest or sleep is? It's the ability, think about this, to lay your head down without any worry. To fall asleep without any concern of what could happen to you when you are are not in control. You're asleep. Ultimately, 
rest is having full trust in God. You're able to lay your head down and not worry about anything. That's what Adam and Eve, the seventh day, they didn't have to worry about anything. It could completely be out of control and God's in full control until sin entered the world. This is the world we live in today. It's an evil world. It's a poison world. It's the world that Satan ushered in. In John 8.44, Jesus says this of Satan. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. Ephesians 2.1 says, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, where in times past ye walked according to the course of this world. Okay, this is the world we're going to be mostly talking about today. And according to the prince of the power of the air the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversations in times past and the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. We all were there. But consider this. Maybe you haven't thought about this. But you know, God's design of mankind included flesh that desires to be full, to feel enjoyment. And we know this because before sin happened, Eve already expressed an internal desire. She expressed what looked good to her. It was in God's creation of us. Genesis 3, 6, And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, see, it was already in us. And it's not a bad thing in itself. And that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to, to be desired to make one wise. Did you notice that final part? To make one wise? God had given the man the ability to think and act upon his own. We also know this by jobs given to Adam to dress the garden. I don't see anywhere where God told him how to dress it. Just dress it. I didn't see anywhere where God said, oh, he did it wrong. He also gave him a job to name the animals. And whatever name Adam gave them, that it was. You don't see where God told Adam he made a mistake or offered a better name like, uh, Elephant, you sure about that? Adam, that's not, that's kind of a weird name, you know. You probably ought to name it something simpler. No, whatever he named it, he named it. God gave us this, this mind and a free mind. Now, this is unlike some parents when they end up doing their kids' school science projects. Now, I'm a little bitter about this one. Because when I was growing up, I grew up, there's seven kids in the family. I was one of the younger ones, and now that I'm 
the age I'm at, I can imagine what my mom and dad was going through, but it wasn't focused on me and my schoolwork. So when I'd do my little science project to take to school, it was all what a seven or eight year old could put together, and it wasn't real pretty. But I get there, and there's these massive, wonderful <laughs> projects. Mine looks stinky compared to theirs. That's because their mom and dad did it for them. <laughs> so, but God doesn't do that. You know, and his parents, you know, I like it. Patty's really good at this. You know, give them the paintbrush and the paint and stuff, and I go, <gasps> you know, and they, just, whatever they do is good. God made us these ways. So in themselves, to enjoy, to have pleasure, to have desire, to feel the flesh, to feel fullness is good. Nothing bad about that. It's a created thing in us before sin. But the devil knew exactly how to play his cards. To play his cards on the very nature of man, but he planted a thought in Eve. A lie that God was holding back some kind of fulfillment in their life, like there's, there's something missing. She believed the lie. She was deceived and she crossed the line of obedience and disobeyed God's command. Sin came into the world, making mankind becoming now their own God. And that's pretty much what sin is, 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 is you becoming your own God. Remember what I said about taking rest? Well, if you read to what happened to Adam and Eve, if you wanted to put it in a word, what happened to them, they lost their rest. <laughs> they were bumbled up, jumbled up, didn't know what to do, hiding, making things, something they've never experienced before. They lost <laughs> that rest. They lost their peace. They lost their innocence before God. Now, I want to tell you a little story that I think might show kind of what happened. There was this father, and he has a little girl. And a little girl comes up to him and says, uh, You know, Dad, did you promise me a nickel? I want a nickel. And so... The father reaches in his pocket and he doesn't have any change on him. So he opens up his wallet and he's looking and he's like, oh, I don't think I got to 20. <laughs> so the little girl's like, you promised me that you'd give me a nickel today. So he pulls out the 20 and gives her the 20. The little girl says, you promised me a nickel. So, but, darling, there's a lot of nickels in this 20. No, nope, you promised me a nickel. And she was upset about not getting the nickel. Mankind has traded a $20 bill for a nickel. That's what this world offers. And every person, person 
born is chasing the nickel. The world's lie of what satisfaction is. This is the world that is described in 1 John 2, verses 15 and 16. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. He just repeated the same three things that were in Genesis that men were drawn away from. The devil's game plan is simple. He's got three plays. Lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. There it is. <laughs> he wants to get you so focused on the nickel so that you will miss the $20 bill. He wants you so distracted like a cat <clears throat> following a laser light that it'll miss catching the mouse that will really truly fulfill the need. Now what if the girl did take the $20 bill but did not believe it's, that it's worth more than a nickel in unbelief but just took it because dad gave it to him. The first opportunity to trade that $20 for the nickel she would take because that's how she believes. But what if she took the 20? And though she did not understand, <laughs> she by faith accepted the $20, believing, and went up to the candy store and gave the cashier the $20 bill and bought her a nickel piece of candy. What a thrill she would have to be given back 399 nickels. And what would her response be? Great rejoicing. And running to her friends and telling them to ask their father not for a nickel, but asking for a 20. You see the likeness of how salvation is and how people miss it? When we trade the lie of the devil for the truth of the Father, it should transform us. David said this. Psalm 118.6, the Lord is on my side. I will not fear what man can do unto me. Hebrews 13.5, let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. What we do when we trust Christ as our Lord and Savior is re-entering back into that rest. Back into God's control of our life. Where we're out of control, but He's in control. Hebrews 4.1 says, Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left of us, lest left us of entering into His rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. Brother Mike was talking about this, talking about you can get so close, you can go up and kiss the Savior and miss salvation. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them, but the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. 
For we, we which have believed do enter into rest, as he said, as I have swore to my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he spake in a certain place of the seventh day on this wise, and God did rest the seventh day from all his works. That day of rest, yes, it's good to have physical rest, and we need it physically. But that's speaking about a spiritual rest. No matter what, I believe in him. Just do what he says. Though I see it not, I continue to do. Seeing therefore it remaineth that some must, must enter therein, and they to whom it was first preached entered not in because of unbelief. Again, he limited a certain day, saying in David, Today, after so long a time, as it is said, Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. For if Jesus had given them rest, then would he not afterward have spoken of another day. There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. For he that is entered into his rest, he hath also ceased from his own works, as God did from his. And that blends in with this morning's teaching. But let me tell you something, church, those who are saved. God's children can find themselves back in the world chasing the nickel. God speaks harshly against this. In James chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, go ahead and turn there. James chapter 4, I'm going to read verses 1 through 8. James chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, says, From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your lusts, <laughs> that war in your members? Ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. Ye ask and ye receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lusts ye adulterers and adulteress know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with god whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of god do you think that the scripture saith in vain the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy but he giveth more grace wherefore he saith god resisteth the proud but giveth grace unto the humble submit yourselves therefore to god Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Can you imagine what the Father feels when our actions say, I want the world over you? I don't trust you that there is something better. I know you're telling me that, but I'm not going to trust in that. How would the father feel, and you know this as parents, to watch a child waste their life? To struggle unnecessarily. For them to lose their peace, to run around with the wrong crowd, 
to become selfish and foolish. How do you think that father feels? How do you think our father feels when we do that? So what in the world is it? I'll tell you what it's not. The world is not a list of things. The world is anything, anything that draws you farther away from God. That stops your growth in your relationship to God. You see, a physical relationship between a man and a woman is not of the world unless it's outside the bounds of marriage. Actually, intimacy is a good thing created for us by God. Wonderful thing. Food is not of the world unless it's what you overspend for it and overindulge in it. Actually, food is good when it makes you healthy to better serve the Lord. I mean, getting rid of food in your life is not going to make you a better Christian. Except I'll make a small point here in a minute. But when we take food and it's tasteful and we thank God for the taste of that food. I heard somebody pray that one time. I, I was take, They said, thank you God for the taste of food. I thought, that was a good prayer. I've never heard anybody pray that before. But we also thank God when it doesn't taste good, but it's food. But also, maybe to sacrifice your food and fasting that you might get closer to God. See, we can kind of look at food. Oh, to not have food, that's not good. Well, it isn't in one sense because you're not physically well to be able to serve the Lord. But in another sense, to not have food can be good. You see, it's not, what I'm getting at, it's not in the things. I think you could say about this about anything in the world. The question is, what in the world is it doing to your relationship with God? That's what you got to think about. Now, I jotted down a few warning signs. <laughs> if you ever run across ads, whether you're on the Internet or wherever, you know how the ads show warning signs of serious health problems. You know, and people get caught into that. Ooh, I have that. I have that. Ooh, I must have this, you know. <laughs> and so here's a few warning signs I want to give you concerning the world. Do you have to have a specific activity that you enjoy? I've kind of warned my boys. See, there's a group here that likes to play what one side will say, ball golf. And the other side who says disc golf, but the other side calls that frisbee golf. <laughs> i tell you what, I enjoy both of them. But if it has to be one or the other and you're set on it, that's a bad indication. I remember as I was working with a packaging group. There was a couple of uh, fellows there. They were brothers, the Broyle brothers. And they lived, they were raised poor. 
dirt poor. They gave me stories. <laughs> they were kind of rough. Okay, I'll just tell you. They weren't saved. I witnessed to them. I don't know that they ever got saved. But we, I enjoyed them and they enjoyed me because we could agree on some things. But he, t- he talked about growing up. They, they, they grew up down near West Virginia and Ohio, whatever that area is down there. And he said they had ants that raised them. He said they were big old fat ants. <laughs> he said we'd have a hamburger and they would make a hamburger and we'd get a little ball of hamburger. Then they'd take a piece of bread and wipe all that grease up and eat it. You know, Just talking about how they were raised and the poorness of it. But he also told me, he said, they didn't have any problems having fun down there. So they run down in the field, they find a stick, a walnut or whatever, throw it up and hit it. It didn't matter what it was. They, it just didn't matter. Yeah, when we start to get pretty proud about what we do and what we're going to do, you know, hey, it doesn't take things. It doesn't have to be a specific activity. Let me ask you, is it a healthy activity? Is it an addictive activity? Does it want you to want more of it and to crave it? At work, I mentioned this before, you're given vacations. You're given vacations, well, I don't know so much about today. It could get kind of crazy. But really the idea of vacations was for you to get away, to clear your mind, so that when you come back you can be better at work. But sometimes if vacations is, I want the next vacation. I want the next bigger vacation. I want more vacations. Be careful. Is what you're doing, does it bring you closer to sin? Does it produce doubt with God? You see, the things of God that bring you closer to Him will strengthen you. People who get away from God and the things that take them away from God begin to doubt. You've seen them. They get out of church, they're gone. Oh, wait, how'd that happen? Let the world take them away. Here's another one. Is what you're doing, does it blend you with the world? This world needs us to stand out. (laughs) They need to see that you're different. That guy's different. There's something different about that guy. I want to know what's different. What makes him different? What makes him have peace? He's got all sorts of trouble, but... He doesn't handle it like the rest of the world. Or do we just blend in and we just act like everybody else? When I went to public school, I found out later that there was some Christians. But I never knew it in school because they blend. Does it deplete your resources for better things? We spend our money and our resources and our time 
on certain things. Is, is that helping you to be closer to God? And at times it is. But at times, it's doing nothing but depleting what we could do for God with that. Do you have, are you always getting, trying to get the best of the best? I'll just speak of things I know about. There's the next best golf club. Gotta have it. Ask me what I want from my, I'll write it down. I'll give you the website where you can get it. Because <laughs> I need that next best thing, you know. The world, do you ever notice that? I'll just speak about golf. You know what they do? Golf is hitting a little ball in a hole. The root of golf could be a little stick in a little hole 20 feet away. But you know what? Anybody can buy get a stick for nothing and find something to hit and dig a little hole and have fun at it. But what do they do? That hole's gotten farther. Things have gotten better. It's cost more money. In order for you to win, you've got to have the tools. And so you start buying the next best thing, the next best thing, next best thing. Do you got to have that next best thing? You care for. Let me go the opposite direction. You could go around this world not having anything that pleases the flesh. And you could get real pious about things. And you can just start naming things that are, this is not godly, this is not godly. You've seen it. You've seen people act like this before. But you forget what God put in us. He wants us to enjoy things and enjoy life. If you're not enjoying life, you've got a problem. Maybe in the opposite direction, because God intends for us to enjoy things. But it's in Him where we enjoy things. Turn to Job chapter 31. Here's a man, Job... Concerning the things of the world, he didn't lack anything. But what made Job rich wasn't what he had. It's what he had didn't have him. I made this statement not too long ago that Job, to me, is probably the greatest man ever lived in the Bible. And that's around a, a lot of people. Because let's look at Job 31. Because you're going to see Job's heart. Job 31.1 I made a covenant with my eyes. When then should I think upon a maid? He wasn't going to let the lust of the eyes control him. And he's saying this before God. And God never says, nah, Job, you're lying about yourself. He said, for what portion of God is there from above? And what inheritance of the Almighty from on high? Is not destruction to the wicked and a strange punishment to the workers of iniquity? Now you're seeing 
his pride here, and that was Job's problem. Doth not he see my ways and count all my steps? If I have walked with vanity, emptiness, or if my foot hath hasted to deceit. In other words, he didn't do anything but that was that had me to it that was for God, and he didn't wasn't deceitful with anybody. And I'll tell you, that's a hard thing for what this man had. Doth not he see my ways and count all my steps? If I have walked with vanity, or if my foot hath hasted to deceit, let me be weighed in an even balance that God may know mine integrity. Then God, let me know. Am I, I have not done any of this. If my step hath turned out of the way, and mine heart hath walked after mine eyes, and if any blot hath cleaved to mine hands, then let me sow, and let another eat, Yea, let my offspring be rooted out. Verse 9, if mine heart be, have been deceived by a woman, or if I have laid wait at my neighbor's door, then let my wife grind unto another and let others bow down upon her. For this is an heinous crime. Yea, it is an iniquity to be punished by the judges. For it is a fire that consumeth to destruction and would root out of all my increase. He's saying... <laughs> You mess around in those areas, destruction comes. If I did despise the cause of my manservant or my maidservant when they contended with me, in other words, when they got up in his face, did I despise them, you know? What then shall I do when God riseth up and when he visiteth, what shall I answer him? And he'll find that out. <laughs> Did not he that made me in the womb make him? And did not one fashion us in the womb? What he's saying here is I've looked equally on all men. I haven't judged a man. Even, even my manservant who comes up and gets in my face, I still treat him as an equal. That's hard to do. If I have withheld the poor from their desire, I have caused the eyes of the widow to fail. We've seen where, where Job took care of the poor and he took care of the widow even in their um, physical, mental needs. Or have eaten my morsel myself alone and the fatherless had not eaten thereof. From my youth he was brought up with me as with a father and I have guided her from my mother's womb. If I have seen any perish for want of clothing or any poor without covering, if his loins have not blessed me, and if he were not warmed with the fleece of my sheep, if I have lifted up my hand against the fatherless when I saw my help in the gate, then let mine arm fall from my shoulder blade, and mine arm be broken from the bone. This man took care of people. It's an incredible man. For destruction from God was a terror to me, and by reason of his highness I could not endure if I have made gold my hope, <laughs> and he had it, or I have said to the fine gold, thou art my confidence. That's hard for a rich man to say. If I have rejoiced because my wealth was great, because mine hand had gotten much, if I beheld the sun when it shined, or the moon walking in brightness, and my heart hath been secretly enticed, or my mouth hath kissed my hand, 
This also were iniquity to be punished by the judge, for I should have denied the God that is above. If I rejoice at the destruction of him that hated me. You just find all these, Job is like all these biblical principles that God says we should do. What should we do to our enemies? We're supposed to love our enemies. Not supposed to rejoice at the destruction of them. Neither have I suffered my mouth to sin, wishing a curse to his soul. If the men of my tabernacle said not, Oh, that we had his head of his flesh, we cannot be satisfied. The stranger did not lodge in the street, but I opened my doors to the traveler. If I covered my transgressions as Adam by hiding mine iniquity in my bosom, did I fear a great multitude, or did the contempt of families terrify me that I kept silence and went not out of the door? Oh, that one would hear me. Behold, my desire is that the Almighty would answer me and that mine adversary had written a book. Surely I would take it upon my shoulder and bind it as a crown to me. I would declare unto him the number of my steps. As a prince would I go near unto him. If my land cry against me, or that the furrows likewise thereof complain, if I have eaten the fruits thereof without money, or have caused the owners thereof to lose their life, let thistles grow instead of wheat and cockles instead of barley. The words of Job are ended. Job was an incredible man. He had everything in the world. One thing positive thing you take from Job, the world didn't have him. He had God. He just had a little misunderstanding about some things that God would straighten out because God loved him. He loved him enough to totally destroy and wipe him down so he could speak to him. Now let me tell you something about the children of Israel in the wilderness. God took them out there to prove them. If you look at the wilderness, He took every pleasure of the world from them. A desert land, tents to dwell in. But He magnified His glory like no other time before in history. Through the Red Sea, water out of a rock, Mount Sinai, the smoke, God speaking. I mean, it was a tremendous time. God showed Himself way up here, and He wiped all the world out down here. And He says, do you want me or the world? Here's a $20 for your nickel that you had back in Egypt. (laughs) And most chose the nickel. Hebrews 3.15 While it is said today, if you will hear His voice, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation. That's the time He's talking about when Israel provoked God. For some, when they had heard, did provoke, howbeit not all that came out of Egypt by Moses. But with whom was he grieved 
40 years. Was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest? But to them that believed not. So that, so we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. You know, the devil must be strong. There's a lot of things in the world that we use that holds us back from getting closer to him. I'm not going to tell you what those are. You need to ask God about those. You need to really think those things through. You're trading a 20 for a nickel. It's stupid. But man's been stupid. <laughs> but thanks be to God. Jesus Christ came to try to end our stupidity, to stop relying on ourself, that we can fully put our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ to take care of all things, that we could enter into his rest. And not only to just enter into that rest for eternity's sake, but for this life here. That we can see that we know now what is of the world and what's keeping us. And to understand that what we're doing when we do this is we're preventing something better for us in God. What are those things? We're good liars to ourselves. You need to have a heart-to-heart -heart talk with God for your own good. Let's pray. Heads bowed and eyes closed. As the pianist comes to play, a time for God to, for you to deal with God in your life. This is a short time here. It's a few days and full of trouble. We want to spend them with running after the nickels of this sinful life that devil throws in our path or do we want to go for the 20? What happens when you could go to church but you stay home because of something you'd rather do or something you've told God that is better than going to church? It's not easy serving God. But it's a blessing. And it'll fill your heart and fill your soul. That's what He's wanting to fill your heart and soul with, not the things of this world. He allows us to have some things of the world that we might be thankful to Him, that we might bless Him, that we might serve Him better. If it doesn't lead to that, it's leading in the wrong direction. What are those things in your life? I'd rather have Jesus than anything. Anything this world can provide.
Amen. You know, God has nothing but good for us. Let's try not to be foolish, messing in the world and trying to get get our enjoyment out of that. And sometimes it doesn't feel real good because we are flesh. And there's things we'd rather do. But do what God says. Do what he says. You'll be blessed. Let's pray. Father, thank you for all those who have come out to hear your word. I pray your Holy Spirit has done a work in their lives this morning. And just how only the Holy Spirit can really put his finger. Because he knows you. He's inside you. If you're saved. If you're not saved, come talk to me. If you want to be saved. Because you're going to spend your whole life chasing a nickel and then you're going to lose your life for good at the end of this world. Jesus Christ came to save you. If that's your condition, come talk to me and we can talk about how you can be saved. Now, Father, I just pray you'd work in each family represented here today. Thank you for them all. We're asking in Jesus' name.